It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest Rain and Jays podcast with me, John Corrales, and my partner, Jay King from MassLive.com. We are fresh off a very good week for the Boston Celtics. Back-to-back wins against the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Houston Rockets. And a huge blowout win against the Brooklyn Nets, erasing a sour taste from a disappointing Dallas Mavericks loss. Jay King, the Nets are so bad i love it that (laughs) they're so bad we talk about it every week how bad they are and finally get to play them in a regular season game and it was everything celtics fans could have ever hoped for a 25 point victory an absolute dominant victory uh the second quarter offense was just ridiculous they hit their last nine shots including six threes (laughs) <laughs> just steamrolled the Nets. I mean, the, the Nets bench, their starting lineup isn't that that bad. No, it's actually not. But then when you get to their bench, it's Horrible. like, oh my goodness. Grease and fire. especially against Boston's bench, which is actually one of the best in the league. Yeah. The numbers the numbers last night are pretty insane, as Brian Robb pointed out on Twitter last night. 39 assists for the Celtics. Second, uh, That's the most assists. They've had in a game since December 2008. That was that awesome 2008 squad where, I mean, everything was clicking. So 39 assists. By the way, 39 Celtics assists, 35 Brooklyn field goals made last night. So more (laughs) assists than Brooklyn field goals. The Celtics shot 51 of 87. That's the best percentage, 58.6% in the league this season. They have now climbed to the league's Best defense, a 95 uh, defensive rating, ties them with the Spurs. They have the fourth best net rating, better than the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Celtics are awesome. Let's forget about the fact that it's November. Let's forget about the fact that it's not even Thanksgiving yet. It's crazy. It's crazy because they're seven and five, and all the losses are close, and all the wins are by 13 plus. It's like like every win is just a blowout. And, and they're rolling teams when they beat them. And it's one of those things where their defense is always, always good. And then when their offense gets rolling, they just put teams away. Yeah, Which is weird because, because this Celtics team, you know, for a long time it was like, okay, they don't have much margin for error. Well, kind of that defense is giving them a margin for error when – when they're bad offensively, they're still sticking in games. They stayed with the Spurs. They stayed with the Heat, the Hawks for a half before starting to hit some shots and pulling away. They 
Thunder for a half before doing the same thing. Like that defense is so good that it's finally given them a margin for error. It's unbelievable. And you see that it's not that they're just getting stops. They're ripping the ball out of people's hands. They're getting so many steals. Um, Let's just look at last night's. I'm going to pull up last night's box score. Um, How many steals did they have last night? Another 10. So, I mean, they forced 20 turnovers. 21 points off of those turnovers. So, that's that's insane. Just... The, the, the types of turnovers that they're getting, uh, the live ball turnovers, leading to points, leading to, to, to leak outs, and it just – let me, let me bring us back to reality a little bit because I don't want to sit here just you know going nuts. Number one, way. John. Reality is number one. But let, let, let's bring us back to reality <laughs> just a little bit. Just a, <laughs> the Dallas game, a little yes, disappointing yes. there because – I think what we've seen and and what we can determine from the Celtics team is they are really, really good when they try. But they're not a team that can slack like they did against the Dallas Mavericks and get away with it. And I think that's the difference between them and these other teams that they're hanging around with. You know, I mean, look, they're hanging around with elite company. So when I sit there and compare them to the Golden State Warriors and San Antonio Spurs, I mean, that's the type of company they're in defensively. So, but those teams, the Spurs can slack and make up for it. The Golden State Warriors certainly can play poorly. (laughs) And then, you know, like they did against the Clippers. I mean, they could play horribly and then come back and shoot. So obviously the Celtics are not that. And I think the Dallas game gave us that little dose of reality that if the Celtics want to come out and, you know, uh, not be crisp on their defensive rotations, if they are are slacking at all, they will get burned. So it's all, it's, uh, it's all rainbows and puppy dogs right now for the Boston Celtics, except for that Dallas game, which I think is a, just a cautionary tale. Yeah, and, and even in that game, though, they had that first quarter where they were just very dominant against Dallas. Uh, and I, I think what's what's crazy here is, I mean, you look at that stretch of schedule. It goes Atlanta at Oklahoma City, at Houston, Dallas, and then Brooklyn. Brooklyn we always thought was going to be a win. But those other four games are tough games. And the fact that they ended up with four double-digit victories – Coming to the number one defense in the entire NBA after that stretch is very impressive. And, I mean, that defense is legit. We've been talking about it, how it's kind of like an underrated thing. Now it's like people are noticing the Celtics defense is a force. 12 games into the season, 15% of the season is down. They are forcing turnovers at a rate that hasn't been matched in almost 20 years. If you go to NBA.com, their database for opposing turnover percentage goes back to 2000, 2001, and no team has ever come within 1% of what the Celtics are doing right now. Like, they they force teams over like, like it's high school, and yeah. like they're 
it's crazy. It's and it's Jay Crowder, Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley. Those guys are just forces right now, and they 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 have their defense is like built with their guards first, which is weird because a lot of defenses are otherwise, where you've got the rim protector that is kind of the, the anchor. Their anchors are their guards, and everything is built around them and how good they are and how quick they are. And those guys just disrupt everything. I mean, there was one possession against Brooklyn where Marcus Mark picked up Bogdanovich full court. And Brooklyn was having Bogdanovich run the point, which is a bad, bad <laughs> mistake when Marcus Smart is guarding him. He, he hounded him till half court, forced him to give it up, like followed him around a screen, literally did not give him more than three inches of space the entire possession. Followed him around a screen, followed him to the top of the key, got in his shirt as soon as he caught the ball again, and Bogdanovich would kind of like backed up and was like, "Oh, oh man, it's like, <laughs> this is this is bad news," and just traveled. Yeah, and it's like that—that's what the Celtics are doing to people right now. They are just just attacking their yeah. their defense. Just attacks people, and it's I, fun to watch. I was I was going to bring up the uh, the Jay Crowder steal. So he, Jay Crowder misses a corner three. Uh, Brooke Lopez gets the long rebound on the opposite side and casually just hands it over to like he's going to give it to Jarrett Jack like okay we got the stop here here we go meanwhile Crowder shoots in from that corner rips it right away right out of uh, Jack's hands and lays it up like that's the type of effort play that that leads to easy points and that's not the type of play you normally see in the NBA like you don't and, and that's why Brooke Lopez just casually just said, here you go. Here we go. We're going to start our offense now. But the Celtics aren't the, oh, I missed a shot. I'm just going to run back type of team right now. And sometimes they are. But when you're giving that much effort throughout the entire court, that's taking a lot of teams by surprise. And there, there were quotes after the, after, the, um, after the Houston game where yep. they were saying, like, this is what we do. Teams, other teams, they don't they don't expect this. NBA teams don't expect you to be everywhere all the time. They they want casual games. They want after you miss, they want to be able to just jog up the floor and and set their offense and let's go. But the Celtics are just everywhere. Like you said, in your shirt, in your shorts. As soon as you take the ball out of bounds, they're there, and that, that's. That's what makes the Celtics defense so good. It's it's the effort. If the Celt- but if the Celtics don't give that effort, then they can be they can be bad. They they we could have bad results. But right now, like you said, reality is best defense in the league. So good for that. Uh let's let's briefly touch on the Marcus Smart injury because he left the game last night with a bruised knee. Uh, do you have any insight as to how serious that might be? So he had an MRI after the game. It it didn't look too bad. He just bumped his left knee uh, when he was going back in transition, trying to stop. I forget who it was on the Nets. Um, so I'd be surprised if it was bad. When he he was limping off the court in the locker room, he gave the thumbs up. 
I would be surprised if it's a bad injury based on that, just because it was knee-to-knee contact. Those are normally just bruises. It's not like it was a non-contact injury where he went down in a heap. Uh, so, and Jay, Jay Crowder said he thought Smart would be fine. So, hopefully, hopefully he is because obviously he's an important part. Right. And it's interesting. That brings us to another discussion that we've been having, um, the starting lineups again. And it, so Marcus Smart got hurt, and then Avery Bradley got hurt, and the result was starting um, – Isaiah Thomas and he's been the starter and now it looks like he's the starter and now going into last night not like it really mattered much but you know like you said the this the Brooklyn starting five isn't bad in fact they're the the Brooklyn starting five net rating has been near the top of the league so I thought maybe going in it would be wise to start Bradley and have the smart Bradley Crowder combo on Hollis Jefferson, Jack, and Joe Johnson, and really just make their lives hell. But obviously, Isaiah Thomas got the start. Obviously, it worked out fine. And Brad Stevens has talked about having the starters pretty much remain what they are right now with Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley maybe rotating based on matchups. So... Is this where we're settling for this season? Is this have we finally found some sort of stability with the starting lineups that Jared Sullinger is our starting center, center which was unthinkable a month ago. Um, Amir Johnson is well, no, Jared Sullinger's our starting four. Amir Johnson's our starting five, and it's Smart Crowder and. Isaiah Thomas or Avery Bradley, depending on what the matchups are, but probably Isaiah Thomas. Is that where we are right now? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Obviously, you know, you and I have talked about this before, where we thought Thomas would be better off coming off the bench. And that's because the smaller lineups gave him space. The Celtics aren't playing always as small as they did last year. Um, And then a huge part of this, the bench has been awesome even without Thomas in it. Like, even even when he's not in that second unit, it's like Avery Bradley's knocking down shots or Evan Turner is or, or Kelly O'Leary is diamond people up. Like, that second unit, and I think it's just because the Celtics are so deep and they don't really have a drop-off in talent. That second unit is almost every night providing an advantage and a yeah. big advantage. For Boston and and even with Thomas in the starting lineup so to me that they that's their way that they finally found to have offense when Thomas is on the bench uh is to put him in the starting lineup and so I think it's working right now I think finally they found the recipe and because we're morons you and I it's, <laughs> it's exactly what we said should not be what they tried so i do think it's working i don't think avery like some people are saying avery bradley or some people think avery bradley is like freed now that he's on the second unit i don't think that's the case i think he's just had four good games um you know his usage rate has has really boomed since he hit the bench i'm not convinced a that that will 
continue to be the case and B that if it is the case, it would be a good thing necessarily. He's never been an efficient scorer before. Like he, he can shoot from outside. You don't want Avery Bradley to have like a huge usage rate. Um, I, I want to say his, his shoot true shooting percentage last year was like 50.7%, which is significantly less than average. So, now I think he's playing better, and he has improved. He's made put pushing more of his shots to the arc, but like I don't want him to have that huge usage rate, and I think that'll fall when he's not playing so well. Yeah, I mean, he had he had um, he had a huge first half against Dallas, and then he didn't have a great second half against Dallas. Um, He's been playing well. I mean, what are you going to say? He's been playing well off the bench, so yeah. you might as well might as well ride it. I, I, you know, I, I can sit here and try to make my arguments, and I think they're valid arguments. But what am I going to say? <laughs> you, am I going to argue with something that has worked over the past few games? You know, shocking. Brad Stevens might know a little bit more about basketball than I do, but yeah, um, <laughs> I'm going to cut you off. I'm not going to let you finish that. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I think there might be something to the Avery Bradley being more not necessarily freed, but with that second unit, he's the shots that he's taking. He's not taking them away from anybody. He doesn't feel like he should be. Not that he ever did, but when you're in the starting lineup and you, you've got other guys there, I mean, it, it's tough to go out there and take a bunch of those shots. Avery Bradley's not your number one option, but in, you know the the second the, on the second unit, everybody's the number one option. Who who's gonna? There's no one guy that should be taking more shots than the other. So if somebody's hot, go ahead and keep on shooting. You know that. So th- th- it's almost like ride the hot hand on that second unit. If if Kelly Olynyk is is hitting a bunch of shots, then they're gonna keep feeding him. If if it's Jarebko. Or if it's David Lee, who we've written off and has come back, and obviously, of course, because we wrote him off, has come back and had a few great performances. So, what the hell? What the hell do we know? Maybe we should just sign off right now and say, screw it. We're done. Yeah, I, I, I do want to say this, too. One thing about Avery Bradley, he, he's getting like two or three easy buckets every game off turnovers. Like Every game, like against the Brooklyn Nets, he... he you know, they hit a couple threes in a row. Isaiah Thomas hit a couple threes. And then next two Brooklyn possessions, Bradley cheats off his man at the perfect time because he's guarding Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who cannot shoot whatsoever, and picks a guy's pocket and goes out and gets a layup at the other end. And he's getting some of those every single night, like easy buckets. And those are buckets he didn't always get in the past. So I think... The Celtics have really stressed not just – they're really good at not just forcing turnovers, but then turning it into offense at the other end. Like, the, yeah. when they get those turnovers, they are flying down the other end yeah. and, and converting. And they weren't always good in transition last year, transition offense. So that, that's been really promising to see. And I think that's a reason why they haven't had as many droughts lately – as they did last season and even at the beginning of this year. It's funny. I just want to – I remember one point during last night's game, it was – I don't know why it was particularly quiet. 
Brooklyn had the ball. Uh, Hollis Jefferson got it, I, I think, off a of pick and roll. He came over the top, and I just heard, I think it was Amir Johnson say, let him shoot. It was just really funny. <laughs> there, that is that is a tiny bit deflating when you're a player and you hear people say, no, nah, let him shoot. That's okay. <laughs> We're good with that. Um, Avery Bradley, a couple of things. It's really when you're a shooter, when you're on offense, and you know this for sure. When you get a couple of layups, when you see the ball go through the hoop, it's really it gives you that boost of confidence. It's really a lot easier mentally to, to get that shot going when you get a couple of steals, when you get a couple of layups like that. So that's one thing about Avery Bradley. Um, the other thing, or a couple other things, his defense really has picked up. I remember last year, one of the storylines from last year was, man, Avery, Avery, Avery Bradley's defense has dropped off a little bit. And there, there were the whispers that his, his defensive play wasn't quite up to that quote-unquote Avery Bradley level. This year, probably because he's got more help and he doesn't have to do as much, he, he, it's more of a team swarming defense, that is helping what you're saying, the, the getting the, the layups, getting the steals and the layups. And, and one last thing, he's going backdoor a lot more this year. Last year, I don't remember seeing a whole lot of backdoor cuts for Avery Bradley. This year, we're starting to see it again, going backdoor, getting some easy baskets that way. So it's almost like back to basics for Avery Bradley. Getting the defense, getting the steals, cutting backdoor, getting some easy shots that way. That's an easy six or eight points right there for Bradley. Then he hits a few threes, boom, he's, he's scoring 15, 16, 18, 20 off the bench. So it's nice to see. And it's, I think, I think uh, when last week we were talking about Avery Bradley's development, what can he be? This is this is like the the ceiling for him or the the high end of what he can be. Play your defense, get some steals, cut back door, get an easy basket or two, and then the shooting will come. He's a streaky shooter, so on some nights he'll go out there and drop twenty five. Some nights won't be so much, but if he's doing those other things, he'll still be very productive on the offensive end. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this chat reminded me because. It- made me think of the the Rockets game where the Celtics defense was Ugh. so so good. Um what did you think of the Kevin McHale firing? Oh yeah, you know, we didn't talk about that. I, you know, that that bothered me. It bothered me a lot. A coach getting fired in November is I mean, unless unless it it you've had a few losing seasons and you've finally gotten some players and it's still not coming together. Like the, there are very few instances of coaches being fired this early that I, I really agree with. I I hate what happened in Houston because I feel like I, I put most of this blame on James Harden. I think Harden quit on McHale, and he kind of led the charge, and, and people followed Harden's lead. And it reminds me of what Doc Rivers said when he first got here, and they first you know they got the. Kevin McHale, when your star player buys in, it's a lot easier for everyone else to buy in. And I'll never forget Doc saying that because Kevin McHale bought in. I mean, Kevin Garnett bought in immediately with the Celtics, and and they they took his identity, and they followed his lead and, and executed everything that Doc wanted to do. And it worked beautifully, obviously. 
once your best player is no longer engaged, then you're screwed. And I think James Harden, for whatever reason, quit on Kevin McHale and because you can't fire the players and because Dwight Howard certainly isn't going to step up and be a leader. McHale got, <clears throat> McHale got shafted. So I, I, I think it's probably better for him to be out of there in the long run. Uh, I don't believe in that Houston team. I don't think they're going to be the contenders that people think they're going to be. Uh, so I think Kevin can just go, uh, hopefully work for TNT because I love him being an analyst, collect his $12 million, get uh, an extra paycheck from TNT, and then in a couple of years uh, be you know take over somebody somebody else's program. So... Um, I think I think there are teams like uh, I, I think there are teams in the NBA right now that he can help. So it, it, we'll see where it goes, but I think there are teams in the NBA that he can help right now. To to me, the weird thing about it was you give him eleven games, just eleven games after he took a Western Conference team to the conference finals. Yeah. And, and that team, I mean, Dwight Howard was injured for a lot of the season. They didn't have a ton of talent compared to the other Western Conference teams. Like, that was an overachieving team last year. They they really shouldn't have made the Western Conference final. And I, I, I think I don't blame Harden as much as you do because I look at just his entire life situation. Like, he was dating Khloe Kardashian – and then the whole Lamar Odom thing happened just before the season. Like, that is a vicious, vicious thing to go through right before a season. And obviously, like, you would like him to still play defense and try on the court and things like that. But <laughs> though, that that is a huge, huge extenuating Yes, I would like him to try on the court. That's, yes. I would like him to try. <laughs> but, and I also think it's just a weird fitting roster now. Whereas... Last year it was like Harden and a lot of guys who tried to defend. Now it's like you add Ty Lawson to the mix. He's not a defender. You add Marcus Thornton to the mix, also not a defender. And you lose guys like like Prigioni, who played D. Josh Smith, who, you know, for all of his flaws, does play some defense. Uh, so I, I think the whole, entire mix was just different. That Kevin McHale <laughs> hated that team. <laughs> it was so clear he could not stand coaching that roster. What their effort against the Celtics was so abysmal. I, from the start of that game, like they weren't getting back on defense. And oh. It was it was unbelievable, and <laughs> like so, I think he's better off not coaching that team. He he can go enjoy himself, be on TNT as you said. Maybe join the Celtics because Danny Ainge has offered it. him a standing position. Tyler Zeller will soon become the post god. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we agree. Mikhail didn't deserve to get fired. And but it, this is well, I, I will also say this: I don't think they were ever sold. He was the best coach for that team. I don't think even when they were going deep, and I'm not sold either. Like as as well as as good a job as I think he did last season, like he's a good coach. 
there are great coaches out there, and I don't know who who's the great coach that has is doesn't have a job right now. I don't know. I don't think he was a great coach. So let, let's let's play a little game here. If you could fire any coach in the NBA right now and replace him with Kevin McHale, what what situation do you think would work for him? Ooh, um, if I could fire any coach in the NBA, yeah, that is one heck of a power. Who would I fire? Um, is I don't know. That's it. Who? Who? Um, I would put. Um, I'd like to see um, Mikhail coach the Wizards and fire Randy Whitman, and then run the like the Mori Ball in Washington because yeah, they're like, they're kind of trying to do all, that. Anyway. I think. Well, I, first of all, I think I think Whitman. I don't, I'm not a big fan of Whitman as a coach, and I think. I think Washington has a talented roster and kind of similar to the style that that Houston was playing. I, I know. I think I think you put I think if you put McHale in that situation with those young players with McHale's, you know, pedigree, his, you know, his his history and I, I think I think they would respond well to him. I if if I could if I could put him on any current NBA team to coach a current NBA team, I'd put him in Washington. There you go. See you, Whitman. You're done. You know, not that I advocate anybody losing their job, but I guess I just did. But hey, as, as <laughs> these these coaches, when they lose their jobs, they still get paid. So. They get paid. It's not a big deal. It's not like they, you know, it's not like they they go broke. You my, know, they're still getting paid. My favorite coach firing was when Mike Brown got fired after four games. <laughs> and and there was a picture of him from later that same day he got fired at like a Chick-fil-A or something. Just like ear to ear grin, like, <laughs> like so happy. He's like, I'm done. I don't have to coach Dwight Howard and Kobe Bryant anymore. Like, get me out of here. Let me go have my peace. I'm still going to get paid. I can go enjoy my family for the first time in years. Like, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. That smile was awesome. Yeah. I, I don't want to go too far down this road, but Dwight Howard, I, I think as much as I, I haven't mentioned him as far as to blame, he, he seems to be around when coaches get fired a lot. I, I will say this. McHale singled him out as the only guy on the entire roster who tried consistently on defense and was a solid defender. So I, I will give Dwight, Dwight that credit. He was the one guy who Kevin McHale singled out. So hey, let's not right. blame Dwight. I'm just saying. Not saying. Just saying. Back to a uh, team with a great defense and tries all the time, though. The Boston yes. Celtics. Back to the Celtics. Why don't we get to some of these Twitter questions? Because um, we've got a bunch of them. Uh, let's go with uh, Adam Bruzesi. Bruzesi. Brudaddy. At Brudaddy. Uh, going back to the Brooklyn thing, do you think the Brooklyn picks the next two years will be as valuable as this one? I don't see Brooklyn getting any better. Uh, they, they're a completely abysmal situation, and, and we said this in the last show, so if you really want to recap, go back and listen to the last show. Uh, they're, they're just in a no, they're, they're in no way that they can improve. 
Uh, they've got nobody to trade. They've got nobody worth giving up as far as from another team's perspective. they got no draft picks. So at what point will the Nets be better? I don't see them being better anytime soon. So I think the next the picks the next two years are, are still going to be pretty damn valuable. I don't think it'll be as valuable as this year. So like this year's Nets team is atrocious. And next year they'll have some cap space. They won't sign anybody great, I don't think. But they will upgrade that horrendous bench. Like they won't be giving minutes, I don't think, to guys like Andrea Bargnani next year. Although he does have a team, a player option, so he might be back anyway. Uh, but I don't think I love it. I don't think they'll be quite as bad. Like they don't have hope to get a lot better. Those will be lottery picks. I'm convinced. Yeah. But they, I don't think they'll be like bottom of the. But they're still going to be in that mix, though. They're, I mean, this is this is going to be a bad year. And if the Phillies, Philadelphia 76ers weren't still abysmal, then the, the Nets would be the worst team in the league, I think. But what the hell is up with the 76ers? We can't get, we can't get you headed down this path. We have, to, we have to direct you somewhere else because you will go and hate on Hinky for the next hour and a half, John. Um, just, <laughs> just, just let okay. it go let it go it's okay they're terrible <laughs> they're you could argue with everything a lot of things they've done uh i do like jillil okafor i do like new orleans noel i do not like a lot of the rest of their roster um yeah we're moving on john we can't we okay. can't let you go there couple more questions <laughs> i love these names jeezy hamilton at slop dizzle at Slop Dizzle, <laughs> who has impressed you the most so far this season? And we've got another question at this point. Who is your team MVP? Uh, one could make an argument for four or five of these guys. So let's let's name a 15% of the season team MVP. 15% uh, of the season team MVP. Yeah. I, I mean, Isaiah Th- I give Isaiah Thomas. Ah, I don't know. I, actually. What was that sound? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, See, I, I, I think I'm going to give it to Isaiah Thomas because he is their best player. Okay. In in my mind, I almost want to give it to Jay Crowder because he, That's going to be my answer. he's the most important to their identity, to me, because he's the one who's leading the league in steals. He's the one who can guard any number of positions and he doesn't always hit shots, but that dude is tough and that dude changes games every night. That's, that's my pick. And so you're going to go with Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, I I think, I think I'll still go with Isaiah, but Crowder's up there for me. Jared Sullinger's had a great start. Like there's a lot of evenness, so it's not an obvious choice. Yeah. I look, Isaiah Thomas is, is sure. And that that's a great choice for the the fifteen percent MVP. We got to get like a fifteen percent of a trophy for this guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm definitely gonna say Jay Crowder because I don't think this defense is anywhere near as good without Crowder in there. He's he's that ingredient um, for the Simpsons fans out there. I'm gonna compare this team to the Flaming Mo. You're a Simpsons fan, right? 
I I have no idea what the flaming mo is to be as as embarrassed as I am to say that. I don't know what the flaming mo is. Tweet me. I'm looking for a new host. <laughs> Continue to disappoint me, Jay King. Okay, Simpsons fans out there will know this. I'll keep this short. The flaming mo is the drink. Homer creates this drink when there's no alcohol in the house. He just throws a bunch of stuff together, and he has a drink, and it's okay. But when he pours the cough syrup in and lights it on fire, <laughs> it becomes the best drink in the world. So the fire, once you light the flaming mo on fire, it changes the, the drink. So the Celtics are the flaming mo. Jay Crowder is the fire. And if look, Marcus Smart would still be the defender that he is, Avery Bradley certainly would be. Um, Amir Johnson certainly would be. But Jay Crowder makes it all work. And quite honestly, I think it's Jay Crowder and his defense that allows the Celtics to slide Isaiah Thomas into the starting lineup. Because if Jay Crowder didn't exist, you couldn't put Isaiah Thomas in there because the defense would entirely fall apart. You would have to start Bradley and Smart. And you'd have to keep Isaiah Thomas on the bench. But with Crowder in there... You can, you can put Thomas in, and you still have those two tenacious defenders, and Crowder just comes in from all angles and can guard so many people. So considering that this team has the best defense in the league, we'll continue to harp on that, the best defense in the league, I think Jay Crowder is the straw that stirs that defensive drink. So he's my MVP. 15% MVP. I can't wait to see who our 30% MVP is going to be. Counter-argument is that the offense isn't great, and part of that is because they play a lot of minutes on the wing to guys like Crowder, who are limited and can't shoot and don't have a huge skill set. And and I'm not, not saying I'm like I'm not demeaning Crowder by any means, but like there are a lot a lot of wings that are more skilled than Boston's starting duo of Marcus Smart and Jake Crowder. There aren't a is lot this, of wings that are more physical, <laughs> that's for sure. But, is this but yeah. I'm supposed to go all like Felger or Tangway on you and yell and call you stupid? No, no, this, this is where like we kind of agree, but I'm just pointing out the other side to it. All right. Uh, I'm still, I still don't <laughs> get my, my radio show host playbook yet. I'm trying to figure out when I'm supposed to overreact and call you names. Uh, I'm I'm okay with it if you do. I, I won't like scream. I won't go Minahan on you and like scream at you and and call you names right, right back. Uh, I would probably just take it, maybe laugh a little bit. <laughs> okay. Next question uh, from Neutral Spin at Neutral Spin. Will we see more of Smart posting up? Could that become his calling card offensively going forward? I mean, I like I like Smart in the post sometimes when he's got the matchup, uh, and and this brings us up. Let me let me add this from Justin Hunter who emailed the question to me. Uh, since we're talking about Marcus Smart, uh, he breaks down the numbers actually. So last year, per thirty six minutes, Smart's scoring attempts broke down like this: five and a half three pointer three point attempts, four two point attempts, two and a half free throws per game total of nine and a half field goal attempts and 12 overall scoring chances this year um it's about the same five and a half three-point attempts but six two-point attempts and four and a half free throws per game so it's a total of about 12 field goal attempts 16 a little more than 16 overall scoring chances so 
The question here, Smart being more aggressive offensively, still taking the same amount of threes, but he's taking more twos, and he's, he's getting a few more free throws, which is something that we talked about earlier in the season that Smart needed to do. So combining those two questions with Smart, adding a little bit, a tiny bit of a post-up game once in a while, and then being more aggressive, are we seeing this evolution, uh, a very coach-prodded evolution of Marcus Smart's offensive game? Yes. Well, we're, it's not a night-to-night thing yet. Uh, this is actually something I talked about with Mark. Markel Brown, Smart's former teammate at Net Shootaround. Uh, so I, we were talking about the Russ. So Westbrook was like, yeah, you know what, guys? Don't get it twisted. I do this 82 games a year. And it was because Smart had that, that awesome game against Oklahoma City. But Russell was like, guys, like, I'm a superstar. I do this all the time. Like, Don't talk to me about his special night. This is something I do every game. Markel Brown said, just give him a chance, Russell. Wait until he gets as many years as you do in the league, and he'll be doing it every night too. Uh, so Smart is still young. Smart is obviously far more advanced on the defensive end than the offensive end right now. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the hints of the evolution that we wanted. Like like that Thunder game. They went to him in the post three straight possessions. He scored on Westbrook. He hit, I believe it was Isaiah Thomas for a wide-open jumper, and then he hit a face-up, like step back for a face-up three on Anthony Morrow. And we didn't see that last year. We didn't see, and then against Brooklyn, they go to the high pick-and-roll with Smart running it while Isaiah Thomas stands in the corner, and Thomas hits two threes off that. So we're seeing all the ways that he is expanding his game. And he has like a consistent stride yet but we're seeing the signs and we're seeing the expansions and it's all promising so far because even though he hasn't like really started to hit that flow he's doing more than he ever did last year and they're giving him more and more responsibilities which shows they're obviously more comfortable with what he can do yeah i i I like it and and I, I set out some expectations for Marcus Smart earlier in the season, and he's, he's really progressing. And I think we are seeing it. Beyond the, the post-up game, I think going to the basket, getting to the line a little bit more. Now, he's not doing it as much as we'd like, but again, his, he's in his second year, and he's still kind of working through what works, what doesn't. He's doing a much better job as the point guard. Uh, and and look, he's he's also been hurt. He's also played next to Avery Bradley, and now he's playing next to Mar- uh, to Isaiah Thomas. So a little bit of a, a difference between how they play. I I think this is a nice a nice sign, and it's very very encouraging for the Marcus Smart, but that we're going to see when the Celtics are contenders because I. I do think, obviously, I do think the Celtics are going to be contenders in the next couple of years. You know, not maybe not next year. We'll see. But the year after, they certainly should be. And that's like last week when we were talking about what's, what's Avery Bradley going to be on a contending team? What's Marcus Smart going to be on a contending team? I think Marcus Smart is going to be uh, 
one of the cornerstones of a, a contending team. For, you know, I think he's going to be your starting point guard, and I think he's going to have learned by year four how to get to the free throw line more and get five or six easy points and how to pass off of that and how to you know maximize like not just take the threes that he's taking he's taking five threes a game but some of them I still don't like I think he's gonna his shot selection is gonna evolve a little bit more so it's all very encouraging I'll just I'll leave it at that it's all very encouraging with Marcus Smart I like what he's doing um, and I, I think that it's it's a concerted effort by the staff and by Marcus to to grow his game. Yeah, uh, all promising there. Uh, one question I, I have for you. I asked this on Twitter a few days ago. How many teams in the East do you think are better than the Celtics right now? Um, I will say uh, Cleveland is. Um, right now, Miami is. Um, and then, I don't know, Chicago, Chicago, I want to say Chicago is, but, you know, Derrick Rose keeps getting hurt. I'll, I'll say Chicago might be slightly better, but I, I, I could easily be convinced that they're not. So I'll put, I'll put the Celtics at three. Three or four in the East. Uh, no, Atlanta. You think Atlanta is oh, behind? Yeah, Boston? yeah, yeah. I did overlook Atlanta. Uh, okay, I'll say fourth. I'll say the Celtics are the fourth best team in the East at this moment. It, you know. Yeah, and I think all those teams. I, I mean, I don't know whether they're fourth. They might be behind Toronto. That there are a few other teams that are like in that mix. But the Celtics through twelve games. Like they still have their flaws. They're still not a powerful offensive team. They still can't shoot all the time. They, but they are good enough to where I don't think a run to the conference finals is like completely out of the question. As long as they avoid Cleveland. I mean, I'm not saying I expect them to make the conference final. I'm saying, is it completely out of the question? Because after Cleveland, the East is so wide open. Miami is really talented. I don't trust them to stay healthy. Uh, and then after them, it's like Chicago, right. Atlanta, just flawed teams. And the Celtics have a great defense and a deep team. And so, some of that isn't ideal for playoff basketball when the rotations are shorter. And their depth won't be such a huge advantage. But the East is crazy. The East, like anything can happen there. I don't, I'm not convinced a run to the Eastern Conference Finals is out of the question. I, I wouldn't predict them to make it there. I don't know if they'll get out of the first round. But it's not out of the question. I'm trying to figure out a way to spin this. Jay King says Celtics <laughs> could get to the Conference Finals. Uh is it out of the question? No, it's not out of the question. I still, still, after all of this, I still think that the playoffs are more about your your top-level talent. But how many teams have top-level talent in the East? No, I, I get it. I get it. But 
you still I still trust I still trust like Atlanta to to like their their like I still trust Horford to make shots down the stretch more than I trust most guys on the Celtics. Just look look at the look at the Dallas game. Look at how they they fell apart down down the stretch in the, in that game. I still I still just say that because the Celtics don't have that guy, that guy that can go and just create on his own and score like you need in the playoffs, that's going to make a deep playoff run tough. Out of the question? No, nothing's out of the question. But and I see your point that most of these teams aren't like that top level talent. They don't have a lot of that top level talent. Oh man. Yeah, this is tough because it, it might just it might just depend on like injuries or something. I, I don't know. Don't don't get me don't get me feeling like this team's gonna go to the conference finals, Jay, because I don't wanna get <laughs> I don't wanna get that feeling in my head. I don't want to make that a thing that I'm like, well, maybe. I don't even want to think that far down the road. We haven't even had our Thanksgiving turkey yet. Headline, Rain and Jay's podcast says Celtics are one LeBron injury away from a final <laughs> So, who do you think we match up better against? Uh, the Golden State Warriors or the San Antonio Spurs? Let's start breaking good, it down. Good luck beating the Warriors, guys. Good luck oh, with that. Oh, boy. That, no, no, that team is unbelievable. They are yeah. just special. That is a special team. I don't think people gave them enough credit last year when they won 67 games and just blitzed through the Western Conference final. Obviously, they, they missed some of like the top Western Conference teams in the playoffs. That team is so good, and they're better this year. They still feel just like that 2009 Celtics team to me before KG went down. That team was one of the best teams in recent NBA history, and it got destroyed because of that KG injury. Um, and, and Golden State has that same feel. Like for whatever reason, they don't—they didn't take their foot off the pedal. Like they still think they have something to prove every night. They well, still have that like edge to them, like they didn't win. Because everyone, not everyone, so many people leading up to this this season started saying, well, they got lucky. Like that Doc Rivers thing, like that. But he, he was, I, I kind of agreed with Doc. Like they did avoid some of the top guys in the West. It, it, he wasn't saying like they were lucky. Every title team has luck. And he's admitted that the Boston team that won had luck. So so for me, that was like not disrespect, but they obviously took it as disrespect. They took it that way, you know how it goes, man. Any little thing that you can say, other than "Wow, that was a great team," they are very deserving champions. Anything short of that will get them <laughs> pissed off. That's that's just how it is. So when you sit there and you say, "Well, you know, they they kind of got lucky. They didn't have to face the Spurs or the Clippers," it comes off as, "Dude, you lost." There's a reason they didn't have to face you guys because you didn't make it there. Like that's that that to me when you, I understand what you're saying, but a little bit, a tiny bit of self awareness, a tiny bit of perspective to say that that that's not luck. That that 
the luck in what was you didn't you know Mike Conley was hurt some they they didn't face certain teams at their best you know they they did catch a couple of breaks but then they took advantage of their breaks but to say they didn't have to face the Spurs or the Clippers because neither of those teams got to the conference finals that sounds that comes off as very asinine and then of course then they take it as well screw you we'll show you and i don't want to make it seem like some off-season slights are what's fueling this what are they 13 and 0 now 14 14 and 0 so that they're 14 and 0 cuz they're a damn good basketball team they have a little bit more of an edge because people started saying that they were somehow lucky champions and so i think there's a little something extra there but they're still an amazing team and amazing matchup problems. How do you play Draymond Green at the five every night? Like how how do you combat that? It's and and, and obviously Steph Curry is out of this world, playing at a level that God maybe like two or three guys have ever played at. So I anyway. The other night, the other night they beat the Clippers. He had 40 points. Like He's on ESPN getting his post-game interview. And it's his stat line is underneath 40 points, 6 of 14 from 3, like however many assists he had. And he, he says, in all seriousness, I've got to play a lot better than that. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, Steph, whatever you say, man. Uh, they're stupid. They're stupid. They're good. It's, it's yeah. It, it's it's they are fun to watch. It's it's not that they're 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 not just good. They're really entertaining. They're really they're really they're sleep ruining good. I I don't get any sleep anymore yeah. because whenever they're playing and the Celtics aren't, or even when the Celtics are. Last night I left the TD Garden after my first story so that I could get back to my apartment and watch the end of the Warriors game while I continued working. Yeah, like that, that, that's, that's how good they are. Of course, you can't miss. You can't miss. I actually fell asleep at halftime of the Clippers game and woke up. I was like, "Well, they're down. They were down 15 at halftime, or something like that." And I ended up falling asleep. And of course, I wake up and I do my same thing I do every day: put on NBA TV. And well, the Warriors' streak continues. Like, oh man, how did they do that? So amazing stuff. Okay, let's get back to the Twitter question so we can we can uh, wrap this up. Uh, Alex asks, "Can we get a running hashtag to get Isaiah Thomas into the All Star game?" I don't think he's going to need a hashtag. I think as long as the Celtics continue to play well, he's going to be in the All Star game. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I mean, I, I to be fair, I haven't looked around the Eastern Conference landscape, but you've got Kyrie Irving hurt. You've got Derrick Rose not being Derrick Rose. Yeah. Uh, as far as guards go, I mean, T- Isaiah Thomas is up there, and, and you're hearing him get more respect. More respect, like Lionel Hollins called him a star before the game. Uh, Draymond Green's tweeting like people need to recognize Isaiah Thomas. People know that he's really good, and I think I mean the Celtics are playing well enough. I think right now, if they keep it up, that they're going to get one All Star. And will they get I, two? I no, probably not. And I think it would be Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, yeah. I think there, there's no way a team can be this good 
and not have an all-star. I mean, John, they're seven and five. Like, it's not like, like, like I know their their net rating and defense, all that stuff is awesome. They're seven and five right now. Like, but but I, I, yeah, they're they're good enough to have an all-star, and and Isaiah Thomas should be it. Right, right, and they're they're. Their schedule kind of eases up. It, it, they they should they should go on a little bit of a run. By the time All Star matters, they're not going to be uh, just hovering above five hundred. They shouldn't be. Okay, we're we're going into the season thinking that they might be below five hundred by Thanksgiving, and they're not. So when it matters, when it comes down to All Star time, January, you know, they're they're going to be. I think they're going to be good enough where people say, well, the Celtics need at least one all-star. And then you start wondering if, you know, how some of these other guys play. If you sit there and say you throw like a Jay Crowder at the end of the bench as an injury replacement or something. I don't know. That's, that's my green goggle answer. I think Isaiah Thomas is going to be an all-star. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say Jay Crowder has no shot, even though he's had a really good season. Hater. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, one more. For no, he just doesn't put up the stats. You you have know. to put up. I know what you mean. Unless, know. unless you're te- unless you're Draymond Green and people know like you are crushing basketball regardless of your stats, then you need the stats. And Jay Crowder doesn't have them. And I do think he's had a huge impact so far, but he's not going to to make the All Star team. Sadly, that's fine. That's fine. We'll see. We'll see. Jay King, jerk, <laughs> idiot. Ninety nine problems in making the All Star team is one. And not um, making the All Star team is one. Uh, one more from Brew Daddy. Would you trade uh, uh, Evan Turner and Derek Lee for Joakim Noah? Uh, I guess I don't know. Yeah, that, that no Joakim Noah no longer like moves the needle for me. He he used to be a great player. He's kind of like one of those guys who got, seems to get old really fast. Yeah, he no longer gives you much of anything offensively. He's not the same defender he was. I I don't see why you would make a move for Joe Kim Noah when the team this year isn't going to contend anyway. Uh, so uh, there's actually, just no point. This is this is going to be weird for you to to hear, but I think Evan Turner is is too important to. You've come around, John. Oh man, what has happened to me? Evan Turner, Evan Turner is too important. Evan, Evan Turner has become too important to give up for a player like Joachim Noah. If you're going to get another guard that can help, or if Terry Rozier was ready, which he's not, then maybe. But yeah, I mean, I've come around. I've come around on Evan Turner to to at least acknowledge that. His presence, I'm trying to say good things here. His presence has a positive impact on the team. Uh, John John is a believer. Evan Turner, I, I think, he, I mean, in all honesty, he has flaws. Like, he's not an efficient scorer. He's not a shooter. He does a lot of Celtics, and I, I think he's become a much better defender than I would have anticipated him ever becoming on the Celtics. Uh, like, 
he really does do a, a nice defensive job now. Um, he's he's aware defensively. He's active. He's he can guard multiple positions, and he is one of the few creators on their team. So, yeah. Evan Turner, too important to trade, says John Corrales. Jesus. <laughs> Everything I've thought about basketball is gone. <laughs> it's all out the window. Um, no, it's true. It's true. Because the Celtics, for all of their depth, they do lack a a guy who can handle the ball and and kind of – create for others and Evan Turner does have that ability to handle the ball and and create for others I mean beyond Marcus Smart and and Isaiah Thomas I mean who who handles the ball who can distribute then he fit he you, you need him you know I don't think he's a long-term guy but right now he fits he works within this system so I'll I'll leave it at that before I break out into hives all right yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna wrap it up but before we do Let's take a quick trip up 95 to Portland, Maine, and take a look at what happened last night. James Young, 26 points, 15 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, 6 of 10 from 3, 9 of 18 overall. Jordan Mickey, 17 points on 7 of 15 field goals. A monster putback dunk. YouTube that. Nine rebounds, five block shots. Terry Rozier, 16 points on five of ten shooting. Eight assists, three steals. The young kids are dominating in Portland. If you're in the the Portland area, that's it. If you're in that Portland area, you find a way to get to one of those Red Claws games. You want to see these guys play basketball. It's worth the trip to go check them out because as long as they're in Maine, and we said this like a few shows ago, they are tearing up the D-League. By the way, how bad is the D League? Like, I, I don't mean that to, to demean Jordan Mickey, Terry Rozier, and James Young, but like guys who aren't rotation pieces in the NBA are just they just go down and tear tear up the league, yeah. like just crush it. Like Fab Mello is putting up thirty ten and tens. <laughs> jo- Jordan Mickey is killing it. James Young. Like, I don't know. I, the D-League, stats in the D-League are hilarious to me. It's yeah. like a, anyone on an NBA roster can go down and get his 25 and just have a night. So can, not can that's not imagine? to that's not to demean what the, the young guys are doing there. But no, the D, no. D-League stats are outrageous. Can you imagine if they a good player, like if they, if say, say Steph Curry, <laughs> rolled an ankle or something like that and they they could like let's say he they sent them down for a rehab stint <laughs> would he score like 150 points in the d-league he would score a lot of points in the d-league he would score he would he could break 100 if you put an all-star player <laughs> in the d-league they could break 100 james young had 26 points Steph yeah, but... Curry could break 100 <laughs> A hundred uh, points. Steph Curry could go to the D League and score a hundred points, or maybe, maybe it'd be, have to be somebody like Demarcus Cousins who could just go and just dominate down low and just keep getting to the free throw line and and score like forty from the free throw line. <laughs> but somebody, you're right though. The the D, the D League is bad. People, 
it, it's not like baseball's minor league system where there are like 20 levels and AAA is a bunch of guys who are sort of major league ready. So, I mean, there are definitely guys in baseball who are only AAA or they, the so-called quadruple-A players who dominate AAA but can't play in the, in the majors. But generally, if you're looking at minor league systems, the guys who are really good at that level below the pros in, in baseball or hockey are generally going to come into the pros and, and be at least decent. In the NBA, this is all they have. There's no multiple levels. There's no nothing. And we're lucky. We don't even have one D-League team for every NBA team yet. So this is still a work in progress. There are so many guys in the D-League who are nowhere near, nowhere near NBA ready. They're, they're, they're guys who are, you know, Division One guys who still holding on to some sort of dream that will never, ever, ever, ever see any NBA ball at all. I mean, hell, you tried out for the, the D-League and almost made it. I wouldn't say I almost <laughs> made it. <laughs> I, I almost survived. Uh, almost, almost. But, you know, I mean, look – the the guys any any D league guy can come into your men's league and score fifty a night and and be dominant. They're, and they're still they're still good players in you know relatively speaking, but they're nowhere near mostly nowhere near NBA talent. They're they're in fact I would even say if they were that good, a lot of these guys would be playing overseas. But and and some of them could play overseas. They're just choosing to be stateside so they can. Because they their dream is to play in the NBA, they don't want to be, you know, in the Chinese league their whole lives. But I think some of these guys aren't even good enough to to play in those overseas leagues. So, but still, still nice to see. All that being said, if you're not dominating that competition, then there's a problem. And these guys are dominating that competition. If they went to the D League and sucked, then you'd be like, oh no, that's yeah. a problem. So when you're facing that level of competition, Jordan Mickey better be having five blocks a game. You know, James Young better be doing what he's doing. At, at least there's some hope that, okay, we know that they're good enough to go, you know, squash the scrubs. Let's see if they can come back and, and play against the big boys. Yep. that That's it. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. There we go. Celtics are seven and five. They're playing. They have the number one ranked defense. Uh-huh. Number one ranked defense, better than everybody. And they've got Brooklyn again on Sunday. Just making that draft pick a little better, preferably with another twenty-point victory. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And we'll be back here next week talking about something completely new. And I might say nice things about Evan Turner again, maybe. Or maybe. or maybe he'll trigger me and I'll think he sucks again. That'll be <laughs> one. It, it's it's a roller coaster ride with you and Evan Turner. It really it is, is like it's like a, depending it, depending on the day, you're either like Evan Turner is untradeable, or <laughs> or Evan <laughs> or Evan Turner is the worst thing to ever happen to the Boston Celtics. Give him a max extension. No, no, no. <laughs> No, never that. Um, All right, we've clearly gone off the rails, so we're going to end it here. 
Thanks for listening. Uh, really want to say one more thing that we appreciate that every week that you know a few more listeners hop on. We appreciate that you're doing that. Tell your friends. Tell your not friends. Tell your enemies. I don't care who listens. Whatever. As long as they listen to the show. And we'll see you next week on another Rain and Jays podcast. a lot to get excited about a bag but most bags can't save you 20 percent on auto parts that's 20 percent off headlamps 20 percent off oil filters 20 percent off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99 cent napa reusable bag so tell your buddies there's a bag they just have to check out quality parts helpful people that's napa know-how napa know-how at participating napa auto parts stores while supplies last minimum three items exclusions apply offer ends 10 31 17 Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter, so it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.